Welcome ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Constos Convos podcast. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in for the first episode ever of Constos Convos. Uh, this is going to be an ongoing podcast where I interview and speak with some cool, interesting people. And hopefully you think my very first guest, Mark Cameron, stage manager, photographer, renaissance man. Hopefully you find him interesting. Mark, how are you doing, mate? You all right? I'm fine, mate. I'm very good, thank you. I've, I've always wanted to be a renaissance man. I feel like I've finally made it now. It's great. I'm chuffed. I kind of just co-signed it. Yeah, a renaissance man. It's official. Uh, I'm saying this, I was laughing the other day that uh, Mark, he, he's a stage manager by profession, uh, but he's got many talents, shall we say, and he sent me a, a video about last week of a wee song that you're playing on your guitar. Mate, I was quite taken back. You're actually quite good. I thought it was going to be shit. Thanks very much. Not to say that I didn't think highly of you, but... I'm glad that you're, uh, I'm glad that the bar was set so low. Uh, no, it was really nice. You're quite uh, handy with a guitar and quite a decent singing voice. It's uh, thank you. It's uh, it's my friend uh, Craig and I. We sort of set each other a challenge at the minute to learn a new song every week. So I, every Saturday I set him a new song and he sets me a song and we have to learn it and then perform it and record ourselves performing it and then we send each other the the the, the file every the following Saturday and then we set each other a new song. So we've done. I think we're on our, like our, I can't remember what number we're on, but we've done a couple now anyway, so. That's cool, as that's, just. That's the whole sort of challenge. Just for people listening in, uh, this first podcast is going out, well, recorded and going out during the coronavirus lockdown, so Mark's obviously trying to keep busy, because uh, most people are just eating a lot and drinking a lot from what I can gather, so it's good that you're doing something a bit more productive. Well, I think I, I, think I could honestly say that I'm doing all of the above. <laughs> Well, you're a renaissance man. You're good at everything. Good at eating. Good at drinking. Got, you've got to be. You've got to have a. You've got to as many strings to your bow as possible. You? Yeah, definitely. Singing and playing the guitar. I think it's like the, for me. There's no middle ground. You're either really good or really rubbish. And I put you up there. I mean, I've says I let my my boy and my middle boy and my older girl here, and they were actually like, "Is that your friend?" So that was <laughs> that's another stamp of well, approval right there. Well, thank you to them as well. I think it's uh, it's just a thing that I've I've done for years, and I like doing. And you know, as you know, I'm really into music generally. Yeah. And I, but I'm glad I sort of realised a long time ago that I was never actually going to be the rock star, which is how I ended up working for rock stars. You know, so next best thing. Very glad that I made that distinction earlier on because there's fewer things worse than sort of middle 40 year old guys still thinking they're going to be pop stars your rat tail and your tight jeans are you barely spilling over it my mullet <laughs> skull it just, just, for the, just for the record I don't have a mullet <laughs> I know that's true I was actually I had the joke that I was going to grow one but uh, I've got a rather large Macedonian head it's a bit oddly shaped and when I grow my hair it just emphasises that and my wife's always like, get a haircut, get a haircut. So she gave me a DIY haircut, and I think she's done quite a good job. I, my wife gave me a, a DIY haircut as well, but I, I went kind of quite extreme. I, well, like, you've got a full head of hair, Mark, so you can kind of get away with it, and you've got like a normal shaped head. Remember, I'm balding, 
It's big. It's oddly shaped. So the haircut really makes or breaks it. Bizarrely, uh, while we're talking about our wives, my wife thinks you're really photogenic. Whenever I show her um, like portrait shots that I've taken of you at the studio, she's always like, looks really good on camera, Brian, doesn't it? Mate, that's your photography skills, okay? <laughs> so, that, and, and uh, I pay you a compliment. No, she's paying you a compliment, making all that. Meet me in real life, like, oh my God, he, uh, you are really good at taking photographs because he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's not photogenic. Mate, I, I want to just maybe get back into your background a wee bit right now. I've actually known Mark since high school, and you always were a bit of a rocker back in the day, right? You can take that wherever way you want. I was a hip-hop guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But our paths crossed at a f- music festival a while back where I was photographing, and Mark, I guess you were working, uh, doing your thing because you had a walkie-talkie, and I'm like, he's working. And then I found out, you know, through other people and stuff because you'd moved away down to London and stuff and done your thing, and... I heard from people that you were basically touring with these bands and stuff. And I'm like, wow, because I love music as well, mate. And anything like that, I get super geeked out. And I'm like, that's so cool. And you've you've come back and we've reconnected through our mutual love of photography. And I just, it'd be cool if you kind of elaborated how you kind of got into that. You know what I mean? It's no something like, how do you become a stage manager? Yeah, well, you kind of fall into it. Anybody that works in the music business kind of falls into it, I think. Although there is there is one or two courses that kids can go and do now, but there was, you know, when, when I first got into the music business, it was like, you basically fell into it. So, yeah, I moved to London uh, 18, 19 years ago, and I was just, I was working in a bar and just sort of hanging out and having a good time and a mutual friend of mine owned, uh, had just started a, mer- a music merchandise company and so they, you know, they got the contract to sell t-shirts and whatever for all the bands and at festivals and, and, you know, and gigs and everything and I'd always been a, real, a big fan of music and played guitar and sort of been in bands and knew people in bands and so him and I met and got on and then I started doing some work for him at the odd show here and there selling t-shirts for whoever and then the bar, the job that I was doing, the actual job that I was doing kind of fell through. And the first phone call I made was to my friend Justin. And I was like, I need some work. The bar thing's not happening anymore. And he was like, well, do you want to go and tour? No, <laughs> no thanks. I like, yep, do not need to be asked twice. And so the first tour I did, I was a merch guy. It uh, was for a band called The Misfits, who are an American sort of uh, hardcore punk band. And we played uh, two weeks of shows in these little punk clubs in Holland and Italy. And they're pretty legendary, The Misfits. They're kind of pretty seminal punk rock band. It was quite a big deal, you know. I was like pretty sort of blown away by it. And the, club, and the shows were like really loud and, you know, like proper punk rock shows. And- yeah, a lot of energy in these shows, aren't there? Aye, and, you know, and it was fights and it was, you know, it was full on, you know, and it was cool. And then, and then I did that tour, and then I did uh, I did Elvis Costello after that, and that was one of the things through this merchandise company was that it was never the the, the the sort of artists that you work with were always really random because it wasn't like the work that I do now where I tend to work for the same artist for a year. Back then, when I was doing merch, I, I tended to do like a couple a month here or a couple of months there, and and then another artist. And so, first three or four bands that I toured with was like Misfits, Elvis Costello. Band, an English indie band called The Ordinary Boys and then after that you know I mean, I, I think I did a really early tour I did was a, a, this pop guy called Shane Ward who was like off a TV he's a gypsy exactly. he's... Yeah, I think travellers is, is the term that gets used well I know listen I'm not being derogatory it's just that's what I, I grew up with that's what I'm not moving with the times but Mark can I say 
I think maybe you touched on something that I've spoke about as well with friends. It's like you said the tours maybe weren't that long and now they're much longer. I wonder, like a lot of these bands now, a great deal of their income is through merch and doing tours because they're not really selling albums as such and things. So I think like if you tour now, they, they, they get their heads down and they do it to make a living. You know, you can't fall back on the sales. That, that is true. That's not, it is true, but it's not why my schedule was different. My schedule right. was different back then because the merch guy generally doesn't get taken around the world. Like they'll come to Europe and they'll pick up yeah. like me and then they'll go to America. And get an ordered. American, whereas, because I'm a stage manager now, if I get, if I get a, a, a gig with a band, I'm generally going around the world because it, it's a much more sort of it's a much more sort of integral part of what the band are doing is the show and it's much harder for somebody else to learn it in every different well, it's, it's a more skilled job let's be honest you know what I mean because I know when you say it's more skilled mate it's just it's just much close it's much closer to the actual performance rather than you know the, as a merch guy I'm like out in the lobby or you know whatever in the building you know the band going on stage has actually no relevance to what I'm doing. You know, mm-hmm. If I'm not there, the band will still play. Whereas if I, in certain shows as the stage manager, if I came down sick five minutes before the show was due to start, it could be a bit of a problem. Yeah. So, like, so, did like, you keep all these old T-shirts and stuff? Have you got old merch from these tours? I mean, I've, got, I've got drawers full of T-shirts. That's awesome, man. And, that's, and I've thrown stuff out over the years as well. So, like, what? I kept everything that I'd ever had. I would need another house. I know. I'm a bit of a hoarder, mate. Recently, I've kind of tried to downsize with stuff. I wish I kept a lot of my old musical t-shirts, but because I had some right beauties. I used to wear at school discos. I had like Easy. I had, uh, I remember I had an Ice-T OG t-shirt. It was a beauty. I had uh, a bunch of Cypress Hill ones. I kind of like a beat-up old t-shirt as well, and they probably have fitted me now because I was quite a fat child, and I kind of slimmed down a wee bit, so I'm wondering, I probably still fit me. Well, and also the hip-hop style of the time was first time. Yeah, exactly. Can we just tie in here? Because, sorry to interrupt me, it's just because this is something... Now, Mark's writing to his photography and he actually sent me a link to a, a documentary that's on Netflix at this moment about a photographer and a tattoo artist from LA, Estevan Oreo and Mr. Cartoon. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, it's got just an avant that we're into, right? The music... Tattoos, we both get, well, I've got one tattoo, you've got many, but, uh, you know, the photography and stuff, and it was it was so cool. I used to have one of his t-shirts back in the day, but right. it was uh, when he first started his blog site, I bought it through that, and I got it through it, and it was, I asked for an extra large, but, you know, American extra large uh-huh. is like quadruple XL, you know, it's just, it was yeah. just massive, and I had that. I wish I kept that as well, I think, I get binned. A pal of mine, years ago, he was a, he was a merch guy as well. Um, he's now a tour manager, but he he was doing he did a tour with Fifty Cent, right? Freddie, who I also at fit fit Freddie, yeah. Yes, please. Ten or ten ten bob. <laughs> um, and I did a couple of shows with Fifty Cent later on. But Paul, my friend Paul, did this tour with Fifty Cent, and he came back from tour. We both lived in London, and we were both in the merch company's office one day, and I had mm-hmm. Paul a couple of months because we'd both been on tour with different bands. And Paul came in, and we were chatting and catching up, and I was like, how was the tour and all that? And, and he was like, yeah, yeah, you know, it was cool and all that. And, and hip-hop artists, uh, hip-hop artists, especially American hip-hop artists, it's a much different touring environment than, than sort of rock bands or guitar bands, you know? Uh-huh. Paul's this, like, white guy from Scotland, you know? I'm like, and how, how, did they, how did you get on with the, with the brothers, you know? 
And he's like, ah, yeah, you know, it was cool and everything. And I said, oh, you know, did you, a lot, sometimes like at the end of the tour, um, the, the band or the band's management whatever had t-shirts made up just for the crew. Okay. Like a gift. Yep. And I said to Paulo, what, did you get like a crew shirt or anything? And he's like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, I've got it here. I'll show you it, right? So he brings it out of his bag and it's this like a polo shirt with a 50 cent logo on the breast. And honest, and Paul's quite a big guy. He's probably, bit, he's maybe a little bit bigger than you. But this thing, he put it on and it was down to his knees, right? Oh. And he went, but he's like, do you want to know the funniest thing, mate? And he said, he said, they gave it to me and I put it on and they said, yeah, man, we're really sorry. That's, just, that's, the, that's, the, that's the biggest one we've got. <laughs> As if it wasn't a big enough. Literally, like, the, the sleet, you know, it was one of them. Comical, yeah. Like, halfway, halfway down your forearm and, and the hem went to his knees. You know, it's such, it's not a good look. I used to wear the baggy stuff and baggy jeans are just not a good look. They're really not. I, I don't, I'm not this whole skinny jeans, but see a nice, fashion, though, mate. That's well-fitted clothes is timeless. But Well-fitted clothes are timeless, but especially if you're talking like about suits and things like that but in well, clothes in general i believe jeans and like how loose or tight is fashion you know oh yeah you could yeah like a pair of five a pair of five ones are always going to be a pair of exactly that's true it's just it's more cutting a nicer silhouette and things but uh i just i don't cringe too much it is what it is uh but even hip hops i says we have we've had in our conversation about how like back in the day i call you a rocker right you could say oh well no i was a Blah, blah, but I just mean you were very much into grunge, I remember when I was into my hip hop mm-hmm. and we had our uniforms, you know, you could tell what sort of music you're into, but I think like rock and hip hop probably start with the old Run DMC Aerosmith collaboration as they kind of melted and I think a lot of the dress now is the same, people are kind of wearing like the thinner jeans, they're wearing trainers, everything's homogenous now, I think everybody's kind of becoming, well look the same, just clones almost and it says there doesn't seem to be the same, what's that, sorry? It's bland, the word you're looking for. No, no, I'm actually I'm not too much into it. I just I just remember it was like the tribes were much more you could tell like I remember it was like all the goths that were hanging about Glasgow and you could tell, you know, says like you had the hip hop guys. Like I was going to concerts when I was like fifteen, um, really young and you wore baseball caps, you wore a t shirt, everybody, and it was cool to see what people were wearing, but now it's kind of everybody's just bland. Maybe not the word, because I think some some of these guys actually look good the way they dress. I just mean that we're just melting into one, I think, a wee bit. It's probably because of the internet now, I guess, eh? Well, I think I think the internet certainly has helped and I, I think you're right I don't think it's bland I think it's just thing that it's really hard it, almost everything is mainstream now like when we were kids and first getting into music things like you know Ice Cube and Ice T and Public Enemy and Nirvana and Mud Honey and Soundgat like that wasn't mainstream music that was like alternative you had to search it out didn't you you had to look for it and you had to be you know and it was like even though when we were at school and you were really into hip-hop and i was really into like sort of you know alternative guitar music and all that even though at the time they seemed like really opposite ends of a spectrum Mm-hmm. You and I actually, looking back on it, were both as alternative as each other because those, those types of music weren't like what everybody was into. No. Because, you know, because hip-hop was like really hard-hitting and quite violent and quite aggressive and for the most part. You know, I, I know there's like... No, it was, mate. That's part of why you liked it at that age, to be honest. Exactly. And it's the same It's the same with like Nirvana and Mudhoney and, you know, tar music and metal and rock and whatever because... You get off in the energy of it, and you get off in the aggression of it, and the and the and the alternativeness of it as well. Yeah, the movement. 
the movement, like the power on this is part of something that was like, wow. And I, I look now and it says there's no, the music has, I don't think it's get worse, but it's just not had the same impact. And I, I don't know. I just don't think the kids have kind of get it. Or there's got to be something, mate. It's just, is it because it's so easy to get in our It's like when I was young, I had to buy, we, we shared tapes. That was a big thing. Like if one guy bought a 10 pound cassette tape, like 20 years ago or something longer than that, it was a lot of money, a lot of money that I never had. So if somebody got something, you you made sure you get a copy or you passed it on and stuff. And I remember buying like a £10.50, 10, £10. 50 pence tape from Tower Records of Ice Cube. And that was like, wow. And as I said to you before that you savoured the full thing. I read all the credits through it to say who produced it, who wrote lyrics, the pictures, you know, the photography on it. Everything was ate up. Now it's just everything just comes and goes. You hear a cool song, everybody listens for a wee bit and it's away. You don't even buy really albums anymore. It's more singles, I guess. So I think things have just changed that way. I was watching this... Uh... We're, we're all watching a lot of document. We're all watching a lot of TV at the minute, right? Whether it's Netflix or... A lot of porn, I know. I know. You can tell me. Yeah. So <laughs> I was watching this thing last night about uh, modern art, right? About uh, the price of art. It's on, it's on BBC iPlayer, right? Okay. And it's about art collectors and, and why they collect and why art is expensive, why certain art is expensive and certain art isn't, blah, 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 right? And anyway, one of the guys on it made a point. They were talking about contemporary art. Mm-hmm. You know, things like Andy Warhol and uh, Jeff Koons and all these, like, super, really high-priced modern artists, right? And this sort of art expert made the point that there's an argument to say that art should be expensive because the human as a race generally don't protect anything that's not, that doesn't have a value. A value, yeah. Right? And so... If a, if a painting is expensive or an artist's work is expensive, then people will protect that and will nurture it and will, you know, will facilitate the growth of that artist, right? That makes sense, and yeah. That makes sense to me. And, it does. And also, it also goes back to what you were just talking about, about how people consume music. And the fact, I think, a big thing about how there aren't really any tribes anymore and how people don't really, you know, it's harder to distinguish what music people are into. I think a part of that, I mean, it's, there's lots of reasons for that, but one of them, I think, is that because music, to purchase it or to consume it, let's face it, can be free now, right? It could be free before, but you had to work for it, so it wasn't free as such, I guess. But the thing is, the, the fact that you went to Tower Records and spent £10.50 on an ice cube... That didn't happen much. <laughs> it was too expensive. That made that cassette a valuable thing to you. Yeah, and others, because I had to I go through and copy it again. Yeah. Copyright laws, sorry guys, but this is what you've done. Yeah. You get the double tape deck, your friend yeah. either gave you a blank tape, or if you were feeling a bit flush and you had some, you'd make him a tape, you'd draw on it, you'd a wee bit of artwork usually to give him. Yeah. Yeah. If you're lucky, you get both sides or whatever, and you'd pass it apart and you just... You were invested then, so although you maybe didn't pay for uh, if you received one, you put a lot of time in, and you were getting stuff. Like, remember, a mixtape was a big thing to get from somebody. Mm-hmm. I actually tried to bring that back. I was doing this thing. I said, listen, we, we need to make a mix CD that we just... You create a playlist, and it takes us through a wee journey. And a, a few of my friends done it. I think there was four or five of us. And I, I specifically chose guys that liked similar music to me or I just knew that they knew their music. And I found a couple just the other day and they were fantastic, man. Really opened my eyes to stuff I mean, I'd never heard can, before and amazing. You can do that on Spotify. You know, you can you can make a yeah. Spotify and publish it and anybody can listen. I have kind of done yeah. stuff like that through even sharing screen grabs and putting it on. Like I do stuff. I just feel like everybody, everything's just throw away. Everything comes dead quick. And this is before, like, you didn't sit down like 
like if you're watching a movie now, like you get your phone, and you, it's easy to grab that and check stuff just because it's like knee jerk stuff. You don't even think you just do it before you were just totally invested. You'd sit down and listen to an album, you know, just listened. I don't even know what you're looking at your headphones or whatever, just closing your eyes and you were totally invested. You need to listen to a full album if you're lucky. And now it's like, you can't, don't make a YouTube video longer than two minutes because nobody will sit and watch it and stuff. And I'm like, God, is that what it would be become? There's, there's, there's lots of different facets to this, what we're talking about. You know, it's like, it's how people buy and consume their, their, their media, whether it's yep. music or movies or whatever. It's how it's, the ease with which you can go back to some stop, go back to, you know, you can be watching a movie, close your computer, go to bed, wake up the next morning, open your computer and start right back at the same place again, you know. Yeah. It's the time that people have got. It's all of these different distractions. Whereas before, the reason that we concentrated so much when we were listening to an album is that there wasn't any the internet. You can't sit and listen to music while you're watching TV, which is kind of the uh, what the other dis- distraction was. Yeah. A lot of times as well, listening to records for me and people that I hung about with then was a group thing as well. Yeah, because like, you, you all came together to do it, didn't you? Somebody, like I remember, I can remember Radiohead releasing Paranoid uh, OK Computer, and me and my friend we went to the record shop. The date came out. We bought one. I think I can't remember if one of us or both of us bought it, but definitely one of us bought it. Mm-hmm. We then went back to Craig's house and we sat. We sat sat physically at the hi-fi, <laughs> listened to the whole album from start to finish, right, and then kind of sat about and talked about it, and then listened to it again. And you know, it wasn't like we stopped halfway through to go and play a. <laughs> <laughs> Stop halfway through, mate. I, I'm going to check my emails. I know. We literally listened to the whole album and then went, well, what did you think of that? And he's, and then we had a wee chat about it. And then, should we listen to that again? I right, let's listen to that again. And, you know, that was like, that was a, that was an, a, a, a usual occurrence. And if it wasn't going to buy the record, it was like, somebody's bought the new Pearl Jam album. I've got a copy of it. Do you want to come around and listen to it? And it was like three or four guys or girls or whatever would all be sitting in somebody's bedroom listening to the new pair of jam album. You know, we, we're in danger of sounding like two pure old guys here. No, it's me. It's just documenting how things change. You're not just, it's, I'm not looking back and crying and stuff, you know, like for the nostalgia of it. I'm just saying how things do change and how we recognize why they change or our thoughts of why they change. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And you can be that, oh, you're old and stuff like that. Well, I like the stories that were passed on from my mum. Like my mum had a box full of her seven inch singles and she used to buy, that was her big thing was buying singles. It wasn't albums. And I look into someone, I'm like, mum, you've got a small faces one here that's brilliant I like the small faces so I try and tell people that too and I says I listen to music like you know a bit young for that or you're a bit old for this and I'm like music's timeless man and whatever you like not even say good music it's like what music you like is timeless to you have you got a turntable at home mate I, I said this again to somebody else that I, I kind of missed out in the vinyl thing because I started off and I had a Fisher Price record player. Yeah. Uh, I've got pictures of like Christmas getting it and stuff and playing it because my mum was really into her music. So I had like the Beatles Abbey Road on vinyl. Um, I remember, was it Paul McCartney's Frog Chorus as well? I think he had yeah, something like that. So I had that on vinyl. Yes, and I used to listen to that nonstop. And now I look back, it was funny because I used to listen to it sped up. So when I hear it slow, it just doesn't think it's the same song. So I just moved away. And it, it says when it came to music, it was always kind of a bit 
behind guys. I get used to something. I don't like moving on. I use a lot of old photography stuff as well. It's like seeing I get used to something. I don't wait till the newest, the great stuff comes out. I kind of just squeeze the last bit of juice out of old equipment, especially when I get used to it. I get it just becomes more natural to me. And vinyl kind of passed me by because it was like I remember a lot of guys were having the the techniques, you know, the twelve tens and all the decks, and they get, whether you're into dance music or hip hop, that's what you aim for. But I was a bit of a I just never had the money and never done it. And I was just a tape guy for ages and ages. And I remember it was a mate of mine that actually gave me my first CD player after everybody had them for years. And it was like an, an Alba. And I connected it to a hi-fi that my brother gave me. And then I get speakers off an army and I built like this hi-fi thing. So vinyl kind of bypassed me. It's such it's something I like to get back into, but I'm into Avant, mate. I, I need to draw the line at something. I'm listening to mini discs yesterday in the studio. I've got mold hi-fi already sounds man right there man. oh they're terrible they take ages to kind of load and stuff but uh the wee hi-fi itself a wee sony hi-fi the sound of it is tremendous it's like wow you should hear the bass and the treble it's just it sounds ridiculous so i've been blasting that in the studio a lot of blank ones so i'm just putting on seeing what i'm getting i like vinyl the vinyl is definitely the most romantic of all the musical mediums definitely and i even know that there's something cool about them but it just bypassed me because you were because you were such a hip hop head, I'm so I'm, I'm quite surprised that you've never been into the vinyl thing. I was, mate. It was money, but your hand they go hand in hand. Do you know what I mean? I just honestly, mate, I'm not I'm not one of these guys to say like I, I don't consider myself I grew up poor at all, right? But there was a wee time where like we first came to Scotland and stuff that money was very tight. And that's when I was very much into my hip hop and that was listening to tapes of my granny's house and stuff. My cousin would bring up NWA straight out of Compton. I'm like, what, ten years old or something? Turn it down, I don't granny and my mum to hear. Listen to stuff like that. But literally they they, they few years money was very tight. And to get like a record player and I think maybe would have been too much of a sacrifice. So it just never even, you know, never entered my brain. I've always kind of liked the look of that full thing. And I never went back to it. I don't know why. I've still got some vinyl. I have bought vinyl over the years because I think it's so cool. I've got like special ones. I've got like a iced tea. I don't really like the music you've done with Body Count, but it was a really cool disc that had the skull and crossbones on it. Um, I was really into an English music producer called AIM. So I bought a couple of his records. Uh, I've got Breakdance from years ago. I think that was like a really cheesy kind of hip hoppy movie that was out in the 80s. I've got that. I've got, I have got some records, but I've just never really had a record player. <laughs> bought that Fisher Price one. Yeah, fair enough. And to go back, I don't know, mate. I just feel I've got tons of CDs. I've got all sorts. So, you know, talking about how, like, oh, with the old guys talk about how it's changed and stuff. You could apply that to anything, and this is when, you know, we're both in the photography. That's been massive. That's even changed. I'd probably say more than hasn't. Well, maybe somewhere, but photography's changed huge over the years with the advent of digital photography and how we go about that. You know, like, everybody's got a phone now, really, right? mobile phone that can take a decent picture you can send it so that's kind of just wiped out industries you know sorry certain sectors in the industry of photography and um, i was speaking to my friend who's a professional photographer at one of the top clubs in scotland one of the top football clubs in scotland and me and him were talking about how things have changed so much and it's really that's been it's really watered down and heard some like all the press guys they've just kind of get wiped out you know because now they're taking pictures off people who were there themselves that are taking pictures and videos and writing stuff if you go on the twitter you can see any major stories if there's a photograph some guy from a newspaper's on there can we use this so now they're using all that stuff for free so 
all these guys that had staff jobs for years, they've all been let go. They've had freelancers. They're even letting them go. It's just everything's changing. So I think I don't think we're kind of the whole guys talking to change, but I think things are in limbo. Like the internet's only been about for like what I would guess maybe. 20, 30 years now. The last 20 is just really starting to kick in. So I think everything's changing, how we're consuming stuff and how we're producing things and how it affects us all. So I don't think it's just a pure old guy thing. I think that moving forward, we don't even know how things are going to change so fast because things definitely are changing quicker now with the advent of the internet and how we can share ideas and how stories can get across the world within, you know, as soon as it happens, basically. But I think as much as that has been a bad thing in, in the sense that you know, certain industries like the film industry, as in the, the photography film industry is, is, if not dead, become a very niche market. And that's, you know, people can argue whether that's a good, bad or indifferent thing. But it's important. You know, I was watching this. That I sent you another link to another photography documentary this afternoon about um, called Everybody Street. And it's about street photography, predominantly in New York, but just street photography in general. Probably the only place in the world that you get professional street photographers. And it's about all these different street photographers. And one of them, uh, I can't remember which one it was now, I think it might have been um, uh, Elliot Erwitt, is basically saying he refuses to shoot digital. And, you know, he's a really famous photographer anyway, right? And he's very well respected. And, you know, he works sells for a lot of money and all that. So he's got a lot. Yeah, massive name. But... He was basically like, you know, he refuses to shoot digital and will only shoot film. And, and as much as I totally respect that and respect him as a photographer, I think if you're in any sort of medium as an artist, whether it's music or photography or painting or whatever it is, it, it, the internet's not going away. I don't want it to go away. I think it's good. It's just, digital, it's changed things. Digital culture is here to stay. And as much as I respect Elliot Irwin and I, and I would aspire to be, to make images half as good as images that he's made. What age is he? That's probably... You know, he's in his, probably in his 70s, right? And that's, well, but I'm just saying... I'm not about... I'm just, I know he's probably also saying that, that he can't just... Getting on board with, you know, you he's probably too it. old to do it. To learn, lots of these guys who were fantastic film photographers have never really transitioned into digital. I would say, like one of my favourite photographers, Stephen McCurry, he's he's transitioned his digital stuff's beautiful. But if I'm led to believe, I think he's get guys that do post production for him. And who's that, who's that Scottish photographer that we spoke about that that had the documentary? He was based in New York. Is it Albert Watson? And he came back to he came back to Scotland to do like a, it was like a photo series sort of thing for no I, I think this one was actually for possibly the BBC or something right but it was going about famous lands, uh, land spot sorry famous places in Scotland and photographing it but when he went and again he's a fantastic photographer but he's also got it was a young girl or a young guy sitting in the laptops you know he had the ones helping him with the lighting and then they were taking the cards from the camera and they were putting on the laptop they're doing what he did and doing wrong. he's giving them direction what he wants but I guess that's one way to do it because imagine being a film guy and learning ins and outs and just being that's your craft you know, you spend decades doing it and if you get really good, that's where your respect comes from. You're making your money and then people are like, oh, the rug from underneath your feet. Oh, this is digital cameras. And digital was crap when it first came in. But now it's like, 
for you to take pictures, you have to really understand software and computers, how they work and things. And it's just like, they'll be like, who's got time for this? If I get the energy, if I get the enthusiasm to kind of learn something like this after spending all the years. Because like, if you learn to be a joiner or another trades guy, like a brickie, has it changed that much over the course of, I would say like maybe a hundred years? Because I've seen brick walls cycling by Glasgow and I'm like, I know for a fact that's been there for about a hundred years. Maybe there's refinement in the process and speeding things up. And, but the equipment they use and the stuff, it really hasn't changed that much. I says, but photography and like music's kind of flipped over. Look, we're making a podcast. Could we have really have done this years ago? Maybe, hmm, probably, I guess. Not me sitting in my house and you. No, exactly. So I, I like moving with stuff and I think people do get scared to change, but it also brings that way and you're like, will I be as good? to do that it's like I'm, I'm in my early 40s for me to learn something really new and get really good at it it's going to take time you know and if you're sitting in your 70s you're kind of like two fingers up man I'm done you know and I, I do believe film has got a look analog stuff like I love analog movies that are shot in film and guys like Quentin Tarantino still shoots on film uh, there was another guy was it David Fincher uh, was it David Fincher it was another guy and I truly done one of these what was that Interstellar I think that was shot in film, but it was shot with such large film format, they actually had to lift the reels with a fork truck to lift it. And it says that projection players haven't got the capabilities to show this film to its true resolution. So I do love geek art and stuff like that, but they spend a lot of money to do this, you know, yeah. because all the labs and stuff have shut up and moved on. But essentially, though, whether you're a whether you're a, a film photographer or a digital photographer, right? It's about composition. It's about light. It's about a subject. It's about telling a story. You know, it's about uh, contrast. It's about you know the the essential elements of what makes a good photograph. And I'm not. I mean, I, I'm in no way, shape, or form. A, I mean, yeah, but you study it and you understand this it. Just, this is my understanding of it. You know, it's like Albert Watson and Elliot Arwick and Steve McCurry and all these people are amazing photographers. Not necessarily because the camera that they use, whether it's digital or film, or in fact what their post-processing skills are like, whether it's in a dark room or whether it's in light room. Mm-hmm. They're amazing photographers because of their eye. That's true, but it, getting to that space and can be harder. And how they read the light and how they and their, how their creative ideas, how they can express their creative ideas onto uh, an image, whether it's on film or whether it's a, whether it's a digital screen. And it's the same. It's the same if you're a musician. You know, it's like, I mean, I love Neil Young, right? He's one of my heroes. And he's a big, he is a big beef with digital anything. Yeah, big time. Hates it, like really outspoken, hates it, right? And I get a lot of the things that he's saying. But again, the reason that he's a, an amazing songwriter and musician and, and sort of cultural icon, really, it's not because he recorded on an analog desk or because he recorded on an acoustic guitar as opposed to a synthesizer. It's because he writes amazing songs. That's true, mate. Yeah, and he's got a talent and he's got, a, he's got that, He's got that fire inside him. That's that's what makes him amazing and makes somebody else not amazing. That is true, but sometimes I think getting from the A to B can be different as well. Purely photography, like these guys who shoot film and these cameras that come out and they kind of do have a look. And for you to recreate that uh, digitally can be a different process. I was actually speaking to my neighbor as well. Uh, he was showing me a samurai sword they had. And it was obviously just like a, a copy thing, right? It wasn't, it was like, it's just... It's a, an ornamental one, right? But I was watching that uh, Pawn Stars and they had a guy that came in who had this sword that dated back to the Middle Ages. And he says, 
do you realise that they couldn't recreate this sword anymore because we've not got the capabilities and stuff like that? It's like, eh? with everything we've got in her, they can't do something that we've done like 500 years ago and stuff. But again, it goes back to the pyramids as well. It's like, we don't know how they've done it. The actual motor skill of being able to do it, it's been lost. Motor skills, the process, just, just anything. And it says like, when guys get really good at something, it's the repetitiveness, it's the 10,000 10, hour rule and things. That's what it says. Yeah. Like, it can be frustrating to learn something at first, but these guys, like, yeah. I've been winding on this camera for ages and that's what I do every photograph. And you don't have to do that anymore. Or I miss the smell of the chemicals. I look forward to this stage and stuff. And I have transitioned a lot of the film aspects into digital because. I like to burn and dodge stuff, and that was something I've done in the dark room. And so, so I think some skills can definitely cross over, but there's some that are just lost and lost forever. Here's a question, right, for you as a photographer and as and as somebody that's massively into music. Okay. Now I have infinite respect for people, well, just in general, anyway. But I have infinite respect for people's opinions about film versus digital or analog versus digital when it comes to music, right? Like I, I'm bigger in this subject but I honestly don't think see if I see if I got 10 musicians together right like of world renowned Neil Young Tom York Paul McCartney Stevie Wonder you know like yep. 10 people like that right 10 photographers of the Albert Watson Elliot Erwitt you know Steve McCurry that level of photographer and got them together right and showed them showed them 10 images and got the music guys to listen to 10 songs Mm-hmm. tell me which ones were produced digitally or analog i honestly don't think if you if you got somebody who was like an amazing retoucher to make the digital images look as close yep. to the film as possible and you got some an amazing producer to produce the, the music to sound as really warm and like old analog records i don't think any of those people would actually be able to tell the difference in a sort of pepsi challenge type situation i think there's i think that's a massive snobbery and there's way too much like, because I'm really into music and I've spent my whole life listening to it, right? But mm-hmm. I would struggle to tell you, I would struggle in that sort of Pepsi challenge. And I'm pretty certain if it was a photographic Pepsi challenge like that and, it, and somebody had spent a lot of time making these images look as similar as possible, what do you think your hit rate would be in that? Like well, the only thing I'm going to say with you straight off is I do agree with you. I think that some people would be hard push to tell the difference so I, I would agree that it was behind the only thing I would like to inject in here 10 out of 10 I'm quite good at probably telling it because like digital noises get a different look and stuff and I think that if you get somebody really skilled they could probably copy it to a certain extent right my only thing is it's the reason why they are stuck in the ways you're Neil Young's and your wits and stuff it's the romantic thing as well well it's like my brother's into his watches right I know but but surely it's all about the end product it's actually about, well not, no, no, even, it's not not the product it's like an amazing photograph right a really arresting amazing amazingly composed and amazingly lit photograph mm-hmm. is what we're all trying to get to right it can have different That's looks obviously of how we shoot it you know but it's the romantic things so i was just going to say is like my brother's into watches right and the big thing with watches is automatic watches you know these things that they use the movements to power them now these things need a lot of upkeep they run out of time you know sometimes they don't run they can run fast or they can run too slow there's a lot of processes right now yeah. you could buy these watches i think just an entry level maybe say 200 pounds or something 300 pounds or whatever it is right you can buy a casual watch for a tenor that is more accurate than these watches put together yeah 
So if you look at the end product and you say, well, you're into a watch that doesn't really tell the time as well. It's much more expensive. It needs a lot of work. This thing's batteries get a 10-year warranty on it. It's going to tell me it's going to be precise. So why haven't you moved on to something? It's because we get emotionally attached to things. That's why you like art. It's like I says to somebody, it's like some, that's rubbish, that art. And it says, well, it's whatever it stirs up in you is your emotion, what you're attached to. That's always a big thing. And I'm like, my kids will play a lot of music that I don't like or the, the misses and all that. Dad, you don't like this music and stuff. You And I said, it's not bad music. It's just not music that I like. I don't think there's a right and wrong when it comes to photography, music and stuff. It's just what you like. It's like a, a good, singer or a bad singer there's no such thing it's like Sean Ryder the Happy Mondays is kind of laughable you know and the way he <laughs> over the place and you'd say technically you're not a good singer and you'd get some days like an opera singer they're, and they're doing the stuff and I'm like that ain't doing it for me so that's what I was liking to they said that about Bob Dylan and Neil Young that they weren't great singers no, no, exactly I agree with you right and I, I like watches as well and that, so that was a really good uh, sort of analogy to use but I just think that I think what I'm saying I think what I'm saying is I agree what you're saying too as well I can totally understand if you've got the skills totally yeah I don't, I don't totally buy the snobbery of people who are saying, I will not shoot digital, right? I get that somebody like Elliot Irwitt or Albert Watson prefer to shoot film because that's what they've based their career on and that's what they know best. But like Albert Watson will shoot digital and he'll get somebody else to post well, I think he's embraced it. His- yeah, under his direction, right? So to me, he's like in the real sort of happy, happy medium ground there, right? That's what I'm saying. I just don't, I don't get the out and out snobbery of like people saying I will not use a digital desk for recording music. I think I use a digital camera. You know, it's like I think to be a truly sort of great artist in any shape or form, you've got to to a certain extent move with the time. And, I guess, but also stick to your gun. Well. We go back to that a documentary about Esteban Boreal, the photographer, right? Now, he's a film shooter and he continues to shoot film to this day. I don't. I think of recent years, he's kind of done shoots digitally. I think all kind of guys, if you're still shooting the day, you kind of do digital just for whatever reason, right? But he, if you, he often mentions what camera he uses, uh, which was my first real camera. He uses a Canon AE1 which is the camera I got when I started college because we were supposed to get a real one. I turned up with a uh, an APS point and shoot point and shoot camera. And it was funny. He's like, I had my interview yeah, for college and he says, mate, I'm sure you had worse than me, but I turned up and he says, bring, bring some of your photographs because you need to go to the interview to try and get into this course. Uh-huh. So I've turned up with this point and shoot APS camera and some pictures of my pals basically drinking up the uh, damn your park because it was just what I was taking photographs of what I was doing and he just looked at me and he says well he looked at me and he took the pictures and he put the pictures to the side as if let's just move on from that and he's put Brian you seem you seem like an intelligent young man he says I'll put you into the course okay he says but you'll need to get a real camera but uh, back to it is portfolio ah just funny but Esteban he he still mentions what he uses and stuff and there's a lot of film cameras and he does stuff and I think with a guy like that he probably gets peed off a wee bit because there's a lot of skill that goes into properly exposing yeah uh, developing and printing film right there's a lot of timing involved there's temperatures there's just mathematical work it takes skill and he's probably a wee bit disheartened to see somebody go oh I could do it this way boof done Obviously not to the same standard, but it's kind of belittling all the stuff that you learned and the thing you've done. So you do get emotionally attached. So I guess I totally agree. 
it's just a hard thing. And this is, I'm one of the guys who started at the tail end of the analog stage. And when digital came on, I'm like, wow, you can do what? So I was like, I actually wish I pushed myself to do more because I remember when we first came into college, we were doing digital stuff. And I'm like, how do you do how do you stitch pictures together to create a big panoramic so I've got high quality stuff? And, and I asked my lecturer and he says, Brian, that's an amazing question and I can't answer it. And he took me around the department and we spoke to about five lecturers and I think that none of them knew it, but I think maybe what the last guy kind of says, that's a really, and he sat down and I joined them and we worked out how to kind of overlap it. I shot, and I shot, and it's funny because it works out quite good because I shot a street in Dan Muir. And if you look at the street, it's got the old tenement it left from pre-war, but it's also got a bit built onto it that was after it was destroyed during the bombing, mm-hmm. the Blitz, the Claybank. So this street has got the old part and the new part. And I photographed that on film, exposed it, shot it, scanned it all into the computer and then stitched it together. Probably about 13 images, a big long image of, is it Jellicoe Street? Just behind Castle Street in Dan Muir. That is like pioneering stuff, at, not in the world, but definitely in Glasgow at the time. This is not many people do it because I asked guys who'd been photography for a long time and they didn't know when we'd done that and sometimes I wish I did push myself a wee bit more because this was early stage stuff and I could have really separated myself but I've had a good journey and I've enjoyed all that sort of stuff. Will you um, will you send me that image? I'd like to see it. Uh, yeah, I think I've got it somewhere. I've actually got prints of it. It's just such a, it's a very long panoramic. It's kind of awkward looking because it's so long and thin but I was I was really, that was like an achievement if you know what I mean. Because there was a task put in front of us that people couldn't really. And I remember asking a couple of these the lecturers, and they were generally intrigued as if, oh, that's, you know, I never thought of that. Like, don't know how to do that. I ended up having to give classes for one of the lecturers because I was the first guy to use her, learn to use this a scanner for film. It was really cool when you used to put your 35 mil in and then put it in scan, but you'd have to take the dust off it. You could do a few presets to kind of scan it correct. And I'd done a few classes for the lectures to, to show the students how to use it. And that's something that's now I'm looking yeah. forward. I'd like to teach more. But well, that's you pushing the boundaries like a, a true Renaissance man should be. I don't know about that, mate, but uh, sometimes you get carried away with yourself and you like to try new things, don't you? Listen, Mark, um, I've had a really good time talking to you today, hoping that we can do this again. So much more we could talk about, you know. Um, I hope Infinite possibilities, I think. Yeah, definitely, mate. Um, I hope you and your wife, Jo, I will wish you all the best in this uh, weird time that we're living through and Hopefully we can get you through back to the studio and do it face to face and not over Zoom. Yeah. Not the sponsor of the show. That room stuff as well. <laughs> oh. Again, that was something that I wanted to do and I bought all the stuff and never went back to it. I think it'd be too much. I had a few guys that are friends of mine, sorry, that tried to do the dark room thing again. And it's a lot of effort. And I don't think I mm. well, you've got to be in it to win it. That's true, mate. Listen, I'll let you go. Thanks again. Okay, mate. And hopefully see you for another episode of Constos Convos. Cheers, mate. Cheers, buddy. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye.